Hey everybody, this is Lee Torres and you are listening to In Life As It Is In The Ring. We are talking to Coach Danny Nieves today who is joining us from, are you in Phoenix, Danny? Um, yeah, just outside of Phoenix. Yeah, what town do you live in or wh- what area? Um, I, I live on Buckeye, which is uh, um, about 30 miles away from Phoenix. Cool, cool. So, um, yeah, D- Danny Nieves is joining us from Buckeye, Arizona. He has a lot of experience in the boxing game and the boxing world. Uh, Danny, let's uh, let's fill people in a little bit on some of your bo- boxing background. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit, just a brief overview on how you got involved with boxing? Um. I ended up um, getting involved in boxing. I was at, at Hammond Park. I was uh, playing some basketball and playing some other sports. And, uh, and this was in coach, Chicago, right? Yeah, Chicago. Hammond Park there in Chicago. And um, the coach had noticed that um, I was really aggressive. And uh, 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 at 5'11", I was not going to be a, a great basketball star. Um, so um, they told me about um, to go down to see Bill Hagelin. He was a boxing coach, and I uh, ended up meeting Bill and uh, told him, hey, I like to fight, and I want to get into boxing. And he told me if I had any boxing experience. And I lied to him. I told him, yeah, I had a bunch of fights, but I, I was having street fights. I was not having a I, I bet he knew, too. I, I bet he knew when you told him. He was like, uh-huh, yeah, you have a bunch of fights. <laughs> right, right. No, definitely. He, um, he did, but he also found my physique. I was um, – I was into bodybuilding. I was older when I got into boxing. I was not as young. I was 17 years old. So um, I really looked fit. And uh, I think that's one thing that threw off Bill a little bit because um, he put me in sparring before um, a lot of people. And he normally doesn't do it. And uh, I got into uh, into the ring, got beat up, <laughs> and um, didn't didn't show up in boxing. Didn't, uh, didn't come back for a while. So, Danny, you said that you started when you were around 16, 17, or 17 years old, right? Right. So my question then is, um, what are your thoughts as a coach on what it takes, what, in your experience, for someone who starts a little older? In other words, how much does it matter? What is your observation and the difference between someone who starts when they're eight years old and maybe someone who starts at 17 years old? Well, my experience, anybody that starts boxing younger or any other sports is going to be picking it up a lot better than somebody who started older. My experience, all my national champions and all my um, champions that went a little further started boxing early. So I believe the sooner you could get somebody into boxing, um, it's going to help them succeed. Now, if somebody's older, and they've been into sports or they active and stuff, that's going to help a lot. I had um, a kid that started almost at 18 years old, and uh, he ended up um, winning a bunch of tournaments and stuff, but he was an athlete. He was just too short for his sport, and he was really good. So it really depends on how physical um, the person that you're training Right on, right on. That makes sense. So it gives them, a, you think it just kind of gives them a better awareness of how to use their body, how to move, and, and be able to pick up the skills that they need to box? Yeah, definitely. And um, the thing about it, the thing about boxing that's super hard is hand and eye coordination. I always try to teach hand and eye coordination. If you're in front of a TV or you're playing video games or you're doing whatever, um, you're not going to have that. But if you're playing sports, if you're watching something in the air that's moving and your eyes are tracking it, that's going to help you so much more. Because um, I found out that baseball players and football players um, attract the boxing really well because um, they're constantly watching the ball. They're actually watching the, the guy. Um, you, you're doing the same thing, especially a baseball player. He's, he's watching a baseball come at him at – uh, 80 miles per hour. Let's uh, put it there. So they got to be able to hit it. So that's the same thing with boxing. Once a person starts moving forward or back, and if your eyes could uh, uh, adjust to the target, 
you're going to adapt better to, to, to boxing. Right on. So how about, what are your thoughts on hand, foot, and eye coordination, having that coordination of the feet to quickly get you here or there? Oh, without a doubt. Um, footwork is so important in boxing. Um, I found out that I had a couple of dancers that come to the boxing gym and uh, they ended up – go ahead. No, no go ahead. Th- Yeah. So the, the, there were a couple of dancers that, that came to the, to the boxing gym. And believe it or not, they were the ones that picked up the boxing the best. They had the dancing move. It was the – it, it was, they've been dancing all their life and it, it, it was like a dance. And I, and I, you, you know, boxing, we don't learn it all. You know, it, we evolve. Um, the more that I see people coming to the gym and stuff. And it was funny because uh, when I had the dancer coming to the gym and, and how quickly they picked up boxing. So um, it's, it's funny because you wouldn't think that a dancer would want to compete in boxing or, or stuff, but you, you know what? Some of these guys that do the break dancing, that, that do all kinds of dancing, will really do good in our sport. And you don't think about those guys. And it was just something that, that was amazing to me. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that because dancers make a practice of learning how to express themselves through their body and every part of their body as they're moving in a space. So, um, so that's pretty cool. I, I've noticed when people come to the gym to train – occasionally I'll get someone in who is not struggling with their stance. They, they're like in a solid stance. They seem to be standing in a balanced way. They know how to drive their hips. I'll ask them, have you taken karate before? And so I, I'll get some people who maybe practice karate for a number of years in their past who come in. And uh, to your point, right, we're talking about athletes in general who, uh, how athletes are able to adjust and, and pick things up with that and have that coordination. But I'm, I'm specifically referring to uh, students who have taken, so I've had both martial arts, but it's especially something about these karate students who come in and it's pretty easy to get them into a solid stance. Um, have you had that experience as well? Or? Oh, but without a doubt. I have guys come in and they tell me they don't have no fighting uh, experience. And as soon as they do a stance or do, do something, I said, yeah, you did martial arts or you did some type of, of fighting. And they always looked at me like amazed, like, how do you know this? And because I could tell a fighter from uh, 10 feet away. Um, so uh, the way you walk, the way you act yourself, um, you're going to have that confidence. You're going to have that stance. You're going to have that balance. That's, that's the thing that people don't understand. Um, it's very hard to fool uh, a boxing coach or, or a teacher or something that's been doing it for a long time. So I get people that are trying to tell me they don't go in there because they want to get in there and they want to beat up somebody. They're like, they think because of their martial arts or they think because uh, they did something else, they're going to come here and fool somebody. And I'm like, no, and I catch it. And if they're really humble about it, I'm, I'm really cool about it. They get really stupid about it. Um, I put them in the ring right away. Because <laughs> if you really think... Um, you're going to come here and beat up fighters. Um, I'm going to put you in with somebody really knowledgeable and let's see how good your karate skills or Thai boxing or whatever you think is good. Um, super example. I had a girl come in three time black belt champion or whatever. She came in and she wanted to learn boxing and um, this net. And she was telling me that she doesn't need a mouthpiece. She doesn't need a headgear. She's so good. I'm like, great. Um, you're gonna go against my daughter. The girl was 18, 19, 19 years old. My daughter was 14 at the time. Got in the ring with her. My daughter just destroyed her in the first round. And uh, she didn't understand that boxing was not like karate. It was not like another sport. If you don't keep your hands up, um, you ain't gonna block from using these wild hands um, things. You you. The, the hand is actually faster than the eye. So before she could even blink or move, she was getting hit. She was totally amazed by this. And this is a, a, a person that studied martial arts for three years or four years or whatever she did. Didn't understand it. Don't get me wrong. She would have became a great boxer. She would have became better than somebody who just walked in not doing anything. But yeah, she didn't want to 
um, do that. She wanted just to concentrate on her skill. And don't get me wrong, I love martial arts. I'm into big Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris kind of guy. I, I even get stuff from martial arts and karate into my boxing. My thing is you got to respect the sport you're going into. It's a whole different type of boxing. I even tell people amateur boxing, pro boxing is two different things. It's not even the same thing. Yeah. But getting back to your stance, uh, getting back to, to, to what you're talking about stance. Yeah. So as soon as they, they put up their hands and the way they stand, I, I, I already know what, if they had some background in, in combat sports or something. Yeah. Yeah, it really gave me even more of an appreciation for um, because people can sometimes make jokes about, oh, yeah, karate classes or some of the other uh, martial arts um, at times. But I also have a deep respect for for the different practices as well. And, and I just I was really I get really impressed in seeing their ability to deliver a blow with some power. Oh, yeah. um, that they've been that they've been taught that um, the other thing I wanted to note on what you were saying is I also noticed that the the people who have experience who are super humble in other words the person who walks in and I ask what what kind of experience do you have and they say look I boxed a little bit but just treat me like I'm a beginner you know because I, I still I have a lot to learn I don't really know they're usually, they usually end up being the ones that I look at and I'm like, whoa, this person has a, a good level of skill as opposed to the person who walks in and claims that they're an expert and doesn't realize <laughs> exactly. how much time it takes to actually master um, an art like boxing or karate or jujitsu or any number of the other arts. No, but, but without a doubt, um, so, I, um, you know, that, that's, that's the thing that that's really humbling about some of these athletes that come in. The, the person that that comes in and and tells you that they, it's totally honest with you. And they come in, they say, hey, yeah, I do have some background in boxing or martial arts or whatever, um, but they want to learn. That's the person that I want in, in, in my gym. If you get the person that thinks they know it all and they're going to come here and beat up people, those are the people that might sign up for a month and you would never see them again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, taking it back a little ways, you went into Hamlin Park in Chicago. You told the coach that you knew, Coach Bill Heglin, that you knew how to box, got beat up because you were sparring. And you mentioned that he had actually put you in to spar pretty pretty quick, Uh, definitely a lot sooner than you realized he usually puts other, uh, puts usually puts in um, a fighter um, and that you didn't come back for a while. Like after that happened, you're like, whoa, you took a break from it and thought maybe that's not for me. Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm being a hypocrite. I'm I'm talking like the the same guys that come to to the gym. I think, you know what? I was able to bench a ton of weight. I was super strong. Um, I, I was able to beat up a lot of people at my time, just with strength and a little bit of ability that I had. So when you go into a boxing ring and you get humbled, it's it's a super um, um, satisfying, well, not satisfying, but disappointing experience because you thought all your life you were able to do stuff. And don't get me wrong, I got bullied as a kid. Um, that's the reason why I got into weights and got into um, fighting. I, I really wanted to do martial arts. I just couldn't afford it. Um, so I, I just, in, in the streets, learning how to fight, how to, learning how to, um, to, to survive, I, uh, uh, I thought I, I, I knew what I was doing. And, uh, and when I got into ring, I, I totally got humbled. And, and it's funny because, um, like you said, Bill doesn't put people in the ring right away. What do you, as a coach, what is your process for preparing someone to spar not not even let's not we're not even talking about them going to their first competitive amateur bout or the national you know champion a tournament pardon me or anything like that but what is your process usually for preparing someone to spar in general great question i, I get everybody that comes into the gym and they and they really want to box this is this is how i answer that is it, it it's totally what i see in the bag it's totally I, what I see from you. I, it's totally what you're picking up. So 
So I tell people, some people it's going to take them two weeks. Some people are going to take four weeks. Some people are going to take months. Um, if I don't see if you're doing anything correctly, you might not never go in the ring. And um, people get upset about that because they, they think they want to get in, into boxing and they think and they're, they're going to start competing right away. So what I'm looking for is if they're keeping their hands up, if they're throwing straight punches, if, are, are they following instructions? If I'm telling you to throw a jab right hand and follow up with a jab, if you can't do simple instructions that I've given you on the bag, there's no way I'm going to put you in, in, in the boxing ring. And I get I had people who actually quit because they thought that um, they were going to spar right away, and I didn't. They said, hey, this ain't for me. And I'm like, c'est la vie, later. Because the last thing I want to do is experience that I had. Once you get beat up in the, in, in, in the ring, very few fighters come back. And I found out that if you want to pay the bills in boxing, if you want to have your membership there, if you get your fighter destroyed or beat up at the, at the first times they spar, a lot of these people will not come back. So that's why I tried to control sparring as much as possible. And then within months, I let them loose. All right. So, so we're talking about um, having a membership base, which I can totally relate to because the overwhelming majority of my membership base, my student base at my gym are people who have fallen in love with this, with the sport of boxing, the art of boxing, and they really want to learn how to do it well. And they want to learn how to do it right. Yeah. They want to get in shape, but they found something else there for them. And so we do treat it like a martial art in that way that they have this practice of learning how to box. That said, they don't necessarily want to get beat up in the ring, nor do they necessarily want to really beat someone else up in the ring. So how did you handle or how do you handle sparring for your competitive fighters, your fighters who are there grinding away because they want to give it their all and they want to win the medal or the belt, you know, in the amateur or whatever it is compared to your, your member, your members who want to spar recreationally. How do you, how have you liked to handle that? Yeah. One of the things that I did was I, I when people come in, I, I tried to ask them a question. Are you doing boxing for, for a hobby? Are you doing boxing for um, to learn a new technique? Are you are you learning boxing to compete? So everybody that tells me that they want to do it as a hobby, they get controlled sparring. What controlled sparring is, I'm actually in the ring with the fighters, and they're going to work on the jab. They're going to work on the parry. They're going to work on the hook. Um, people that want to do it as a sport – they go in there with my advanced fighters, and people always get scared because why am I going with the advanced fighter? This guy could kill me. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. This person has been in the ring. They're going to be able to control their sparring, and you're actually going to throw punches at them, and they're actually going to, going to block. They're going to be able to block. If you get in there with two people that don't know what they're doing and they're real tough guys, it's going to be like a pit bull fight. It's going to be just – grind until somebody gets tired you ain't gonna learn anything and then right right and, and then the, the person that that wants to compete um again is is gonna go actually with me sometimes because i just want to know feel the power or, or feel the, the the speed of the person and and they're gonna go with multiple people because when we had david diaz as the best fighter in the country, um, just one person wasn't able to give him a workout because he was so good. So what I, did, hmm. what I did with him was I put him in first with the little guys so he could get the speed going. Then I put him in with bigger guys so he could use his power. And then I threw in the little guys back again when he's tired because this way it's it, you, you try to fatigue the fighter and – Get, get them capable because there's nobody equal to him in the gym. And, and that's the problem right. that, that a lot of gyms got. They got a fighter that's really good and he's tearing up all the fighters. Guess what? None of these guys are coming back because he's so good. And don't get me wrong. After you get hit by David's punch or, or Fries, um, who became a heavyweight contender, um, 
you don't want to come back and get hit with those guys. So if I could tire them out just enough where people could deal with them or have them mm-hmm. go in the bag first or do some pad work or do something, have them fatigued, this way it, it, gives, them, it gives everybody more of a, of a level on playing field. Okay, kind of bumps their level down a little bit, takes a little fight out of them, as we say, and then put the other ones in with them right on. So as you began training at Hamlin Park, I'm taking it back again a moment, right? Uh, I know I'm kind of touching back in between, but you begin training for yourself. You win all the championships there are to win in Chicago, including CYO, Golden Gloves, et cetera. Um, and then you start coaching. That's kind of my understanding of how you, you kind of fell into the coaching was people started asking you for help, including Bill, Coach Bill, saying, hey, Danny, can you hold the pads for so-and-so? And that was your beginning. Did you know before you started helping at the gym, did you have a sense of being, having the spirit of a teacher, of someone who likes to share information and help other people learn? Or is this where you started to discover that about yourself? Or am I completely off base? Is that not something that you started to feel when you were coaching? No, I I always help people out. I I always been the the kid that saw the old lady across the street with the groceries who can't do it. I'm going to help out. I think I got a lot of that from my mom and dad. Um, my dad would go stop by and wouldn't give a guy money, um, but he'll go out and give him a sandwich or help something out. So I always had that big heart and always stuff. So when, when Bill asked me, hey, could you help out this guy or could you do that? Because Bill had a bad back. He couldn't do the pad work. So I, I would go and, and, and help out Bill with the pads. And I thought I got good. And I met Johnny Plaza. And he was a, a guy that we used to go to Clarendon for Spartan. And this guy blew my world. He's just, um, he had the pad work um, down packed. And then I got to meet his teacher, which is Johnny Lira. And he taught me some more stuff. And it seemed like, like um, I'm dyslexic and, and uh, I got, I, I, it takes me a long time to learn something. But once I learn something, it's, it's locked in. So I took all that knowledge and brought it back to Hamlin Park. And what I did was, um, kept the good and got rid of everything else. So I don't hit the pads or do the pads exactly like, like Johnny or other people have taught me. I, I evolved my own way to do it. And it's funny because I do it with a Griffin dependent on the, on the level of the, of the person. Um, yeah, but, but um, it, it's funny, and you would know this as a coach, that once you hold the pads and once you get good, you turn around, there's a line <laughs> waiting for you to, to hold pads. So I needed couple tunnel on my hands because um, I think I've done it uh, over 200,000 times or even more. So um, I, I, I wouldn't doubt how many rounds you have in. I want to jump in real quick and just make a note and get your thoughts about how in structured martial arts, I, I'm going to say even, well, even Muay Thai. Muay Thai doesn't do belts, I don't think. I don't want to talk like I'm an expert on that. But, you know, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they give out belts and karate, they do that, etc. And there's a lineage that is traced back in those, in those arts. But in boxing, there's something very similar. Because when I look at my – I learned from a lot of different coaches, especially as I traveled. But the two that are like my base root coaches would be you and Bill Heglin, right? That would be my lineage. And you're talking to me about – getting better on the mitts with Johnny Plaza. And you said Johnny Lero is his name. So we're talking, and he was Johnny Plaza's coach. So we're talking about that also having been passed down and just the beauty of that, because you then here you go, you evolve, you make it your own. You teach me, I learn from you. I evolve, I make some things my own and that just continues to get passed, passed on. But, um, but I, I definitely want to, so I want to, I like to point that out. Um, Because I'm not sure how many people can fully appreciate that other than looking. I think often boxing can be looked at as as just a poor man's sport, quote unquote, right? And so much can get lost in just the judgment of that statement 
and and not appreciating all that it has offered those of us who box. But um, so yeah, so we got this lineage that you you started evolving, making it your own. But was there something in that in that process when you started to teach that also called to you, that compelled you to keep wanting to to continue coaching? Yeah, uh, like the re- I, I I did. You know, once um, I won the Golden Gloves. And uh, students and, uh, at Hamlin Park saw that I was already a champion. Um, it was easier for them um, to learn from me because, like, oh wow, Danny won the Golden Gloves. He knows what he's talking about. So I had that respect, and it was a respect that was earned. It was not just hey, this this there's a guy here that that can hold the pads for you. They knew that I was already a champion. They knew that that I won everything in, in Chicago. So it was really easy for these guys to respect me. And of course, um, everything that I brought to the table was great, but that, that came later. So talking to your experience, now that I have all this knowledge and, and you trained under me, now you're going to have that knowledge for your fighters. You're eventually going to become better than, than all of us because you are, you are taken from that long line that, that, that I learned from. And I became so much better than Bill and, and everybody else. Now you're going to learn the same um, things. Now you're going to put your own, your, your own things on, on your pads and, and the way you trained. And also being a champion, um, people are just going to respect you more. It's, it's funny, and I don't want to put nobody down because Angelo Dundee, one of the greatest coaches in the world, never boxed in the world. And, mm-hmm. and when people go to these gyms and they find out that their coaches don't box or um, they don't have no boxing experience or whatever. Um, people get leery. They're, they're like, oh, this guy never been in the ring. What does he know about boxing? But boxing is, is, is all about knowledge. Um, you don't have to be a fighter uh, to be a great coach. You just have to have the desire to help people, have the desire to learn, the desire to watch tons and tons of fights. That's one of the things that even before I got boxing, when I was fighting, I wanted to learn all the boxing techniques. I would watch guys, Rocky Marciano, um, Jack Dempsey. I would just go on and, and watch films of, of great fighters, Kid Gallahan, um, um, Willie Pep. So, so Danny, I hear you sharing your experience on you really taking the time to research and learn your craft. And, you know, other people may have the ability to do that in, with formal schooling, right? They go to college, they get a degree, maybe they get another degree, maybe they get their PhD, they're doing their research, they're learning. Here, you're, you're making mistakes as a coach, you're learning from your mistakes. Um, in another conversation we had, you talked about traveling and the experience that afforded you to learn. Um, And there's no formal school. There's no formal boxing school that we can go to that says, oh, good job. Congratulations. Here's a shake on the hand, a pat on the head, and here's your degree. Right. Well, to tell you something, USA Boxing does have levels of coaches. Right, um, right. That's, that's one of the things um, when, when I was training at, at, at the time, didn't have it. So I left boxing for a while. I, I left boxing a couple of times. But – they have levels. So when I came back, I had a fighter that was in the Olympics, and they told me that I was a level one coach. And I was like, what? I, and, um, I was talking to these guys in Milwaukee, and they told me, well, you got to start back in the bottom before you can become a, a level two or level three, and I guess level four is our international um, coaches. So boxing does have that part, but that doesn't mean crap. You could be – I met guys that were level four that didn't have nowhere near the experience that I had as a so-called level one coach. And these guys that are level four never had a national champion, never had uh, the experience that I had in, in boxing. I got over 30 years of uh, in boxing, and I found out this guy's, you know, has been doing it for, for three or four years. <laughs> and – uh so it just, um, you're right. There's, there's not a piece of paper that says, hey, this is how much skill I got in boxing. This is what I got. But 
This is how I know you got a good coach. Your students are having fun. You're creating champions and, and, and you're building better people than they, they came in. Everything else, I, I don't care if your gym is the high-tech, beautiful gym with all the toys and techniques and, and all the stuff you have. One of the toughest gyms that I've ever seen in the world was Croc Gym. It was in a basement. It was, it was pipes. And they were just building champions like crazy. Um, Manuel Stewart, one of the best coaches ever. So the, it doesn't matter as long as your students are feeling happy and you're creating champions. That's the ultimate goal in boxing. Oh, I love that. As long as your students are happy, they're walking in, leaving better people than when they walk uh, walking out, better people than when they walked in exactly. um, and creating champions. That's beautiful. Um, so you mentioned a moment ago that you left boxing a couple times. You Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about why that was? Yeah. Um, like we all know, boxing doesn't pay the bills. Um, I was helping out. I was getting paid as a, as a rec leader at Hamlet Park and also helping out as a boxing coach. And then um, I needed to get more hours, and they just couldn't give me more hours. And I just had my son. So um, I ended up um, getting another job. And the job was not near Hamlet Park or whatever. So I would come to Hamlet Park on the weekends, help out Bill, volunteer. Didn't get paid at all. And I'm, I would still help out these guys. But my job took me somewhere else. So I ended up uh, moving again. And I, I, I totally left boxing. But the guys would still come to my house. They would come and, and train. There was times I took the table down. Um, so I could have uh, Louis Perez and, and uh, David Diaz, who are national champions. So they could come and train in my house with my kids just two feet away. And this is a sacrifice I made. Nobody paid me. Nobody thing. So um, I ended up um, moving again. Hey, job. Danny, real quick. I, I remember that. I remember being one of the people who showed up at your place. God bless you. God bless the kids. God bless Sherry and the boxers who put up with you holding mitts for me. I remember you had two boxers down in the basement <laughs> with us. Yeah. Um, and, and boy, did I really need that. I mean, that work made all the difference. I want, uh, yeah, it, it was a great time and, and definitely incredibly helpful. These are sacrifices that, that coaches make sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, um, my job, took me somewhere else. A lot of people offer me jobs at Portage Park and Chicago and um, stuff. They just didn't have the hours. They wanted me to be a part-time coach. If, if I had 40 hours and I had health insurance, yeah, I would have done it all. Um, and other people wanted me to start my own business. And I, I, I did, but I, I didn't have the funds to buy a building or to lease a building or didn't even know because of my education, didn't know the, the proper way of, uh, of getting a place or leasing it or renting it and just doing it small and then taking it from there. It's one of the things that I regret in my life, but my job was to take care of my kids first. And I moved out to Wisconsin. My daughter still wanted to box. And um, then I had a little more knowledge. I had my sister who has a master's degree help me out. And I did end up taking a, um, a place, started at a great gym, had a great time. And then my parents got sick again and I'm a family guy. So I got a partner, and, and he basically said, hey, um, just don't give up the gym. Um, we'll take care uh, of the gym. We'll do everything else. So I, I walked away, and next thing I know, he had the gym under his name. He had everything under his name. I said, you know what? I, I really don't care because my thing was I needed to be there for my family. So, yeah, I walked away from boxing twice. All right, I see. So I hear in the past we've talked about how much you traveled in order to take fighters to get better sparring, to fight against the best competition, you know, all the competition that was out there. And this was in response I had asked you at the time, what do you think differentiates a good coach from an elite? Not not just like a good or a very good coach or a solid coach, but the elite level coaches that you have seen. And your first answer was travel. 
the experience that travel afforded you to get to these tournaments and how yeah. much you learned. Right. It did, my thing was when you got the best fighters in the world and you're in a little pond in Chicago or whatever, that's great. But we had to go to, to explore who else out there. If you want to win the nationals, and this is the thing that, that opened up my eyes. Bill at, at the time had a bad back. He couldn't travel. So I did all the traveling. Uh, I was married. I didn't have kids. So I was willing to do that. So we went to every other state, to any place that had great spine. We wanted to go to Detroit. We wanted to go out to um, Milwaukee. We wanted to go out to St. Louis. My daughter um, caught one time how many states I've been. I've been in 37 um, states with going to travel for spine or going to travel for a tournament. And the thing that I learned about traveling was you learn so much thing. You think you know everything in Chicago. To the, like, like I said, there's other coaches that have all the great techniques. And I was just bringing that technique over to, to, to Hamlin Park or wherever I was training. So it doesn't mean that they were champions. They were just um, doing stuff. Um, I went to a gym one time, and they were using a, a tire for footwork. I've never seen that. Bill never, Bill never had a tire for footwork. Uh -huh. It was just amazing. I went to a karate gym, um, and they were using the, the, the ropes as to do chin-up bars. And the guy was telling me, the stronger you make your hands, the harder yeah. you're going to be able to punch. And, and that was amazing. I, I took that. I, I stole it or borrowed it and, 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 brought, it to, and brought it to the gym. Um, there was another place that they were running up hills. Um, that was amazing. I took that. Tried to bring it back to Hamlet Park. Tried to do that with my fighters. Um, there was another place. Um, the, the the fighters were working out. They were running before they were going to to the ring. Bill thought I was crazy when I when I bought that uh, into the ring. When we started winning, we didn't start fatiguing. We were getting stronger in the third round than than we did in the first round. People were what, what what's going on with these guys at Hamlet Park? That was a different technique that I was bringing from somewhere else and I bought it because Bill was yeah, running beforehand. Yeah. Nobody, nobody was doing that. They thought that you're going to fatigue the fighter. I mean, you go into so many other gym, a guy goes, Oh, I already worked out. I can't spy. No, no. We wanted to make sure that by the time you got in that ring, you're already tired. You're already exhausted because that's what fights really feel like. You know, one of the things I do things, I don't want to give out too many secrets because I, I, I do want to bring out like a book or something that I want to talk about because there's, these techniques, even until today, nobody has figured out that when people were in the bag, they were like, hey, Joe, you know, they, they punch in the bag at a real easy pace. But now you're boxing and you're boxing at a crazy pace. And they, they, they thought I was crazy when I wanted these guys to hit the bag like a lunatic, like a, like, like a crazy person, because amateur boxing is a sprint. Pro boxing, you got to pace yourself. So everybody's training like pro boxing. And, and they're dealing with amateurs. That's how we ended up with so many amateur champions because we knew it was a race. And then I get other coaches, oh, we want to train four minutes. Well, the only problem when you train four minutes and you fight three minutes, your timing's off. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. we would beat these guys, and they're like, oh, my fighter will beat you up if you win another round or you win another 30 seconds. I go, you know what? The fight's over. The judges already made their thing. Salavi, and I walk away. And, and, yeah. and that's what I did by – by exploring, by, by going to other places and, and bringing that to the gym. But there was other so, stuff. Go ahead. So you, had, you did mention, we, so we're in the context of what makes a great coach, that you said one thing that they all had in common that you could say that in, in your estimation or your opinion, your observation was that they had all traveled. Along with that, I'm wondering about the time commitment, right? Travel takes a great deal of time commitment. So – if you're traveling, you're not just showing up to the gym three, four, five days a week for 30 to 60 minutes to work with your fighters and then leaving. So what, what are your thoughts on if you want to be an elite coach who is producing champions in addition to or aside from that travel piece, the amount, the kind of time that you're spending with your fighters at the gym at home? Well, the, the, there's a saying, it takes a village to raise a, a child. It also takes a village to, to, to race good fighters. 
the great thing that me and Bill had, the one-two punch that we had was when I was traveling, he was taking care of the gym stuff. So you got to find somebody that you trust, somebody that you believe in that are not going to – because a lot of times when I left my, my gym at Straight Up Boxing, I was worried because these guys didn't have the same experience as I did, and they were going to get somebody hurt. So one of the things mm. I did was, uh, at first, I was like, no sparring. And then when I trusted these people more, then it was sparring. And people didn't like that I left because everybody wants to see you. you you're the gym. You're the face of the gym. They, they want to see you. But they did love when you did travel and you brought new stuff to the gym. It's a sacrifice you got to make. It's like you have kids at home, but you got to go to work and you got to leave them and come back. It's, it's that same sacrifice you got to do in boxing. You got to leave the herd, come out, go do what you got to do and come back. But you, you're doing it for the gym. You're doing it for your fighter. And, and, and it's hard. It's expensive. And at the time, I didn't have the kids. I didn't have the burden. So it was just me and, uh, and my fighter. And then a lot of times if you're boxing for boxing shows or you would get invited, they would pay for, for you to travel. That was another thing because at the time, I was not making a ton of money. And, yeah. and, and to go rent a car or, or go do the things that you got to do. But the knowledge that I brought back, um, I will have forever. Right on. So I want to touch back on sparring a little bit. Uh, you, we talked about how to prepare people to do that and what you're looking for as a coach when you do that. How often have you run into the experience where maybe you're working with someone for a while and preparing them and maybe they even think they want to compete uh, how often have you run into when you finally put them into hard sparring, realizing that maybe they aren't comfortable with that kind of exchange? Nobody's going to be really comfortable with hard sparring. Hard sparring is going through hell. But the more you do it, the better you're going to get. And the thing that, that I, I got fighters that really were upset, they're like, oh, why did you put me in with a person that's heavier? Why did you put me in with somebody who – who knows more? Why did you put me in stuff? And the thing is, it's, it's, it's okay to complain and still do it because a lot of people complain and still do it. But yeah. if, you, if you're complaining and, and now you're quitting or you're not showing up, th then I give up on you. I, I that's one of the great things that I learned about boxing. I used to stick with a fighter and thinking I was going to push him to become a fighter. No. You know what? I, I tell people – being a coach is only like 10%, and that's the reason I guess they pay coaches 10% as, as the fighter. 90% of that world to fight has to be into the fighter. You can only help out a boxer so much. You know, I, I tell a lot of people, if you don't have the horses or the fighter to train, you're not going to succeed because it's up to that person. And if you are pushing a fighter too much, and that's another thing that you got to learn, not to push them too much, not to – but if they don't want to do it, you, you can't lead a horse to water. There's no way um, you're going to make this person tougher. And as a coach, you have that inner fire. You want that person to succeed, but it has to be up to them because hard sparring, <laughs> we both know. You go home sore. You go home with headaches. You go home with bruises. And it's, uh, it's not fun. And I believe you shouldn't do it every day, but you need to do it to get ready for fights. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and definitely, I can't imagine doing that, that, you know, that super hard sparring every time you spar is to take too much out of a person. Without a doubt. And that's a problem that I saw that I went to other gyms and I don't even want to mention. They were doing that every day and their fighters had the flat nose and their fighters, you know, had the scar tissues and, and um, some of these guys couldn't even talk properly because they were so punch drunk as amateurs. And they, then, mm -hmm. then these people are going to turn pro. And then you find out, you know, years later, they didn't do anything because they left it all in amateur boxing. They left it all. And that's the thing that I thank God that I learned at, a, at an early stage. Um, because Bill used to think about um, boxing every day. And I'm like, no, no, Bill, I come from bodybuilding. I come from working out. You got to let the muscle heal and you got to let the muscle grow. And I was the one that, that talked to Bill that we we're going to only spar three days a week. 
And I, I, I totally took Hamlin Park and flipped it over. And I thank God that Bill believed in me. Yeah. And but don't get me wrong. As a coach, I also messed up because I wanted to teach people so much that it also was not making great fighters. Bill was the one that told me, no, no, Dan, hold it up. Take it easy. Ease these fighters into it. First, let them learn the jab. Then let them learn the right hand. Then let them. And I just wanted to do everything so fast. And I found out I was destroying some of these fighters because I was so aggressive. So me and Bill was like yin and yang. I brought mm-hmm. stuff into the thing, and then he brought his wisdom into me. And and that's how you learn from other people. It was just amazing that that he had that knowledge. But I brought the sports stuff, and I brought the, the weights, and I brought the other techniques that you want to use and to box them because Bill didn't believe in the weights. And, and Yeah, it sounds like you, you just had a very nice – you balanced each other out really, really well. Yes. Uh, what other what what are some uh, th- some of your thoughts on? And I'm going to use the term recovery, but maybe pacing or whatever. I'm not sure what word will strike a chord with you. But I heard you say backing off, for example, backing off on the sparring a little uh, because Bill maybe had people sparring every day, and you said no, we need to let's do it. Let's cut it to three times a, a week. So what, what, is, what are your thoughts or what is your balance for finding the right amount of push and the right amount of chill Well, in training? And, and, and that's, there's, there's no perfect answer. You got to feel your fighter. I had fighters that were willing to smart every day and it was up to me to hold them back down. And there was fighters that didn't want to spar every day. So what I, what I did is is the person that's capable and more in shape and stuff, they would spar a little more than somebody who didn't want to spar all the time, but they wanted to go all out when they were sparring. So it's, it's basically, there's not a right answer there. It's more of a feel. It's a gut feeling. So if you think that your fighter could spar a little more than, than, they, than they should, great. There was guys in, in the gym that would do 10 rounds. And they were like, oh, this so is it, it sounds. So it sounds like it. I hear you saying it's important to know your fighter, to be engaged and present and know this is what this person's capable of. This is what that per- – I think this person, they're capable, but their fitness, their conditioning isn't quite exactly. there. As we wrap up our, our conversation here, I'm curious to the extent that you're willing to share what you think your future looks like with boxing now. Well, I'm, I'm dealing with some health issues. I'm dealing with, with, with some stuff. But once a boxing coach, I, I believe it's you're always a boxing coach. Um, I got a couple of people in my ears, neighbors, that want me to start opening up a gym again. I, I don't know if I, I will be able to open up a gym again, but I want to help out young people, um, people that, that want to compete and stuff. So um, the ultimate goal, if I do – um, have some surgeries and get my body healed up. I would want to open up a gym again. But um, I think I talked to you the last time I, I, I was out in Seattle. I, I want to open up a gym. I wanted to open up multiple gyms or be affiliated with some other gyms because if you could make a connection between Phoenix, Seattle, Chicago, Wisconsin, uh, we go back to the same thing we were talking about. Now you're traveling and you're meeting and sparring and stuff because if you just stick to the people in the gym, you're only going to become that good. If you get to meet other people and you get to train, because one of the things I learned, and we both know this, they say it's sparring, but, but when you go to another gym and you go train at somewhere else, it feels like a fight. You're nervous. You get the, the, the shakiness and stuff, and you get that experience because once you do that more and more and you repeat it, you're just going to get better. So my thing is to, to open up a gym but be affiliated with some other sister gyms and with some other gyms to have this great network of, uh, of fight-ins and connections and, and, and uh, you know, just, just, just bring it out to just the, the little pond or little place that, that I used to be at. That's cool. Any other little tidbits you'd like to share uh, and get out there with regard to being a coach or how boxing has impacted your life? 
Um, the, like I said, I, I got bullied as a kid, and if it wasn't for boxing, um, you know, I don't think I'll have the same um, lifestyle if I did. I'm a little bolder, um, braver, because I, I know what I'm capable of. Um, but uh, after I learned how to box, that's, that's funny, I didn't have no street fights. I, I believed in my confidence. I knew what I was able to do. So I tried to tell that to a lot of the parents that come in. Um, they're like, hey, my kid's going to box, and I don't want him to be super aggressive and this and that. Don't get me wrong. It's going to happen. It depends how you, how you raise your kid. But if you have a humble kid or somebody that, that, that takes care of, of their children, they're going to they're gonna feel better. Because, like, I, I had a rule in boxing that if you fought in the street, I will kick you out of the gym. First time it was for three months. Next time it's going to be six months. It's going to be a year. I always wanted to take the, the kids back because you always want to give these kids a chance. But if you're going to keep getting into trouble, the last thing I need you to do is is to go knock out somebody in the street. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a, a kid that broke some kid's eye socket <laughs> in middle school. So uh, I, I don't I don't want that. But it, it just it, it made me more sure of myself. I got this great thing before I let you go. I was teaching this young girl. She was going out to college, and she came in and won the state championship um, for me in the boxing gym. And she put a post on, on Facebook and goes, I'm willing to travel because my coach taught me how to use my hands. I could throw my hands. And she was an international student. At the time, she was in Italy. And, stuff. and it's great that, that I helped somebody out that was not going to become a pro fighter, but just going to be, uh, going to better themselves in college and willing to travel and have that little confidence that they knew that if they got into a situation, they were able to get out of it. And that always made me feel good. That's awesome, Danny. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to uh, sit and talk with me. Um, I'd like us to do this again, so we'll be in touch so we can have a little follow-up and, and talk some more boxing because um, I know that we can both go on and on, and, and I can think of a, a whole lot of other questions to ask you beyond what I've asked you today. Yeah, no, no, no problem, Lee. Um, one of the things I, I, I want to finish with is that I ended up going to Seattle last time, and I was amazed that your students were so fundamental sound. I, I, I respect your training. Um, I, I also let you train my daughter at the time when she was competing because sometimes you need to hear from the second person that came from the same school. So I recommend you 100%. Um, you're, you're teaching the same boxing things that we were teaching that on Hamblin and that, that I've learned from coaches and stuff. So great job out there. Thank you so much. It helps to come from a great lineage. So uh, we'll talk real soon, Danny. Take care. Take care. Peace. Peace.